This talk was given by Ron Hogan Green Sensei at the Zen Center of New York City. Hogan Sensei is a lay teacher in the Mountains and Rivers Order and co-director of ZCNYC. This talk, like all of our talks, is offered free of charge. If you'd like to make a donation or find out more about the temple's retreats and residency programs, visit our website at zmm.org ccnyc. Thanks for listening. Good morning, everybody. This is case 73 in the Blue Cliff record. Master Ma's permutations of assertion and denial. The preface to the case. In explaining the Dharma, there is neither explaining nor teaching. In listening to the Dharma, there is neither hearing nor attainment. Since explaining, since explanation neither explains nor teaches, how can it compare to not explaining? Since listening neither hears nor attains, how can it compare to non-listening? Still, no explaining and no listening still amount to something. As for all of you right here, you are listening to me now, explaining right here. How can we avoid this mistake? Those who have eyes see the following. Look. A monastic asked Great Master Mazu, apart from the four phrases, beyond 100 negations, please tell me directly, Master, the meaning of Bodhidharma's coming from the West. Master Mazu said, I'm tired today. I can't explain it to you. Go and ask Zizang. The monk asked Zizang about it. Zizang said, why don't you ask our master? The, the monastic said, he told me to ask you. Zizang said, I have a headache today. I can't explain it to you. Go ask Brother Hai. The monastic asked Hai about it. Hai, also known as Wang Po, very, the, all of these principles are great or became great Zen masters said, I understand nothing about that question. Hmm. The monastic went back to Great Master Mazu and told him about it. Great, the Great Master said, Zazeng's head is white, Hai's head is black. So, as always on Sunday, we have folks coming in for the first time, and um, so I wanted to say a few words about koans. Uh, the word koan means a public case or precedent. And so we look at precedents. We look at the great masters, the great enlightened masters. And these, these cases, and there are, there are books of koans that students work on, uh, are taken um, sometimes from actual incidents that happened, as in this case. So we know this incident happened. And they may be streamlined and stripped down or adjusted a little bit to allow the, to, to be taken up as a koan. But this incident actually happened a long time ago. Probably, I don't know the exact years, but probably, uh, I would guess, seven to 800 A.D. Um, <coughs> and so these encounters between teachers and students are one way that koans um, became known. They became orally transmitted, and then someplace along the line, a master wrote them down. Uh, they may have added an introduction or a commentary, or another master may have come along and added uh, an, an introduction 
um, or commentary, and then there were additional comments and commentaries on the commentaries and on the koans, etc. Uh, and then um, modern teachers come along and uh, comment on that. And, um, and each teacher adds their own understanding uh, on it when working with students and, and giving a Taisho. Uh, but the but the basic frame of reference is the cone itself, and there's a traditional way of working with the koan between the teacher and student and daisan. Um, but also there's there's plenty of space there. The point is to see into the koan, not to come up with the classical answer to the koan uh, if the student doesn't have any understanding of it. And the understanding is direct understanding. There are different ways to work on koans within Zen practice. Um, there's group discussion that can happen. So a group of students, with usually with somebody senior, uh, can can discuss the koan. There's explanations of koans, and occasionally in, in Mondo, in a less formal gathering, you'll hear one of our teachers bring up a koan and talk about it in relation to the topic. Um, but koan, direct koan study is a face-to-face endeavor working with the teacher uh, so that the student can see it directly. Koans use language without being trapped by language. And the language is a trap, and this is a wonderful example. So we speak of before speech, before thinking, referring to an aspect of our mind that is much more fundamental than what we're accustomed to using, or even perhaps unaware that there is such an aspect of our mind. And that aspect is the doorway to to realization, to seeing things as they truly are, without the overlay of me, which is heavily, heavily conditioned. To enter into koans, we come from from a fundamental place that is whole, that leaves nothing out, that is true, and that is free from our conditioned responses and reactions. So it's true freedom. To see into a koan is to see, to deeply see, to see yourself, to see others as they are, without the extra stuff that we habitually load on in virtually every interaction and relationship with others to see things as they are. And as we work with koans, we begin to let go of our preconceptions and begin to respond free of emotions and intellect, but from our true heart of being. We don't respond without emotions and intellect, but free of them. We're not captured by them. They're there. They're useful. We need them. But we're not captured, held prisoner by them. And what is both so interesting and wonderful about koans is that we're invited to take a leap to share with each of the the folks in a koan their life at that moment, their perception, their perspective, so that we can experience the same state of consciousness, the same realized state of consciousness as being present in the koan or sometimes not present, but invited for us to see. And that's how you have to respond to that koan, with a a realized perspective. In effect, I mean, what are we doing? We're trying on someone else's 
awakened perspective and entering into a koan. We have to be each person in that koan. We have to see through their eyes, be through their eyes. And we do this over and over and over so that this perspective of prajna, of wisdom, of non-duality, gradually uh, or occasionally suddenly becomes our perspective. And to do that, you simply have to be the koan. You have to be the specifics of it. And part of the power of a koan uh, is that the student's personal story is completely irrelevant. Your story is irrelevant in this. Now, it can take on some aspect of influencing it. So we often, so I change the, uh, although I slip once or twice, but I change the wording to a monastic. So in the Mountains and Rivers Order, we use the gender-neutral term monastic instead of monk or nun. Um, And in our our order, um, that's the terminology. Some koans... um, the student is asked to change the gender of the subject of the koan to their gender so they can relate to it better. And other changes can be made to the wording and the specifics of it. So it's it's more available to the the person working with the koan. But your own story is not going to help you here because your own story is a deluded story. (laughs) Um, It's coming from a self-perspective. There's nothing ultimately wrong with it, your self-perspective, but it's a limited perspective. It's your perspective. It's not my perspective. It's yours. And if we're doing this to address your and others' suffering, to see reality as it is, and suffering comes when we don't see things as they are, don't see people, don't see ourselves, don't see situations as they are, then inherently there's going to be a friction of that unreality present in all that we see, think, and do. It's built in. It's the unreality and the suffering is the same thing. So to do that, we have to understand koans are direct pointing. They use words to be free of words. You can understand a koan, and, and this koan in particular is not difficult to understand. Beware. The simpler the koan, the more available it is to our understanding. Clearly, the more we're missing it. I mean, the masters didn't compile these these koans in a particular way in order to say, oh, I see that, I got that, next. You know, there's something there for us. And part of the reason I picked this is uh, to help snare you in that trap. Uh, I'm hoping you think you understand this. Uh, and if you do, I suggest let's meet in the Dyson room and check it out. Um, so um, this koan, this and basically all koans, goes right to the heart of your very being. And it doesn't lodge... I mean, you heard me talk about the, pref- the, the beginning, the preface to it. It doesn't lodge in understanding and not understanding. I'll speak more of that. And so the power of koans arises from a question. And so do you have a question? You know, what are you doing in this room? Is there something going on for you that, that's important to you um, about your existence, about why the world is the way it is, about, the way, about why you are the way you are? Or is it just the way it is? Life sucks, it's suffering, next. You know, where's my chocolate ice cream? You know, I can relate to that. We all can. So something more than understanding, as we usually understand, 
about wordiness, about being clever or even wise philosophically is being pointed at here. Something, you know, anything from our usual selection of tools between our ears that we used to understand this is not going to help this, help you see into this, meaning see into yourself. And that is very fundamental. It's very hard to get that because all we know is our tools. All we know is our thoughts. All we know is our uh, emotional conditioning. And again, I'm not saying don't feel. Feel, please, feel completely. So don't, don't take what I'm saying out of context. It's just that those tools aren't going to allow you to see with insight, with the deep, profound insight of a Buddha, that you are. Or they are going to help you, depending how you use them, because they're just tools. So in the, in the preface, uh, the, the author of the preface is Yan Wu. He puts right before us the entire case. Indeed, he puts right before us our entire life. In explaining the Dharma, there's neither explanation nor teaching. Well, what are you going to do with that? In listening to the Dharma, there's neither hearing nor attainment. I mean, here I am, aren't I explaining the Dharma? Aren't you listening? So here it is, the the trap of words and ideas. Let's be clear. The words and ideas are helpful, even in practicing the Dharma. But Zen practice, as I said, is, is not another endeavor that we think about to use to further our, ourself, to use to make us a, a better self, more skillful self, more helpful self at getting what we want to the exclusion of what we don't want, let alone to the exclusion of what others may want or not want. So in this, we're at the heart of Zen. It's not another endeavor. You've not encountered this before in your life. Something more than understanding or wordiness or clever or even wise philosophy is being pointed at here. What is it? In true teaching, there is neither explanation nor teaching. In hearing the Dharma... Nothing to hear, no one to hear it, nothing to attain. But aren't I hearing sounds? Isn't there teaching going on here? A monastic asked great master Mazu, apart from the four phrases beyond 100 negations, please tell me directly, master, the meaning of Bodhidharma is coming from the West. So the four phrases and the 100 negations, um, I originally counted as 108 uh, the ways that you can take um, you can take the four propositions of existence, non-existence, both existence and non-existence, neither existence or non-existence, which is traditional Indian philosophy uh, about that describes all of reality. So that's that's the hundred negations. In short, they represent all the varieties of philosophical thinking, every philosophical stream of thought. So the monk is saying, apart from this, beyond this, please tell me directly, directly, Master, the meaning of Bodhidharma is coming from the West. And that's, that's a phrase in Zen 
that's basically asking, what is, what is my true nature? What is reality? Who am I? What is this? This. And that term, the meaning of Bodhidharma is coming from the West, is in many koans. It always means that, what I'm describing. So what is being asked? What is our true nature? What, what is my being? What does it mean to be alive? What a magnificent question. Is that your question? In, in some way, in some form, unique to you, that expresses your life and your energy? Picking our head up from our immediate concerns that will never end until you end. Concerns that occupy us moment after moment for the length of our life. Picking our head up from that, we ask, what is this? This, here, now, me, you. What is it? Who am I? I mean, I know my name, I know my gender, I know my skin color, I know my education, I know where I'm from, I think I know where I'm going, maybe, maybe not. I know a lot. But none of that is me. That's about me. So beyond the picture on the license plate, you know, that's the response to the the old joke, who are you? See, that's who I am. Who are we? Who am I? This is an inquiry that when you actually question your life, what your life is, what you as a person of integrity rest your life on, that's what your life is your understanding of who you think you are begins to pivot. It changes and affects everything you do and, and say and think. When you are questioning your life, you're opening up the door that we have created through the wall around us that defines us, our sense of separate self from other senses of separate self, with the accompanying assumption that this is who I am. Five foot eight, brown eyes, brown hair. Oh, sorry. But there's a point in up, sorry. Used to be brown hair. And when we open that question up and take it up as a real questioning, it affects everything we do, affects every thought we have, every action we do, because it's now coming in a reference to that question. So we're questioning our life in a particular way. And even when we forget to question our life in that particular way, it's there in the background. It's, you know, it's the hum of our computer, right? That's always there. It's going on. And then we go asleep and bounces right, jumps into our consciousness or into our dream or into our sudden moment of, holy shit. I'm questioning that. Is what I'm doing now, does that make sense in the context of this question? Or whatever comes out of that. Something always comes, things always come out of that questioning. Because you're asking a question. There's an energy, a life energy, a fundamental life energy behind that question. It's not an intellectual question. It's nothing to do with intellect. It has to do with fundamentally who you are. So please don't overlook the monastic offering this question. It's not a casual question. You didn't just ask it out of no place. You don't get that in the koan, but it wouldn't be there 
you know, it's easy to sit meditation. We can teach you to sit meditation. And it's not so difficult, ultimately, to enter Zen practice and find a level, so to speak. You know, I'm happy with sitting some, with being involved in Zen practice. You know, my life is definitely better. I think I'm less anxious. Things are okay. And when they're not, I still see that things are kind of okay. And that can be the default level of practice after a few years, or months, or decades. Yeah, I'm still practicing, but I'm busy. When will you not be busy? So Master Mazu responded to the question. And when a question is asked of a teacher, they always respond from where the student is coming from. Teachers get asked lots and lots of questions. And students come from lots and lots of different places. He responded. He said, I'm tired today. I can't explain it to you. Go and ask Zizan. Is this great master just commenting on how he feels? Is he answering the student's question? Master Mazu, or Basso, was a great, great master. One of the greatest. There are a number of koans many koans that come from his teaching. He had 139 Dharma successors. Not bad. Good life's work, 139. I mean, and each became a teaching master themselves. So uh, Wang Po, very, very famous. Day without work is a day without food. Bai Zhang, who's Master High in this koan. Yakajo. Maybe you know the koan Yakajo and the Fox, who basically started Zen monasticism, Zen monasteries. Zen was in monasteries, but having a Zen monastery came from Yakajo, one of the protagonists here. So I'm tired today. I can't explain to explain it to you. Go ask Zizan. Master Hakwin a thousand years later, commented on this. He said, I'm tired today, quoting, Mazu is like a water spirit, raining sweet dew. I wouldn't misconstrue these words to mean he's neither explained nor did not explain. If you say explained, the arrow has flown past. If you say he didn't explain, you won't get to see the sky by digging into the earth. You with me on that? Another master said, Mazu spared his own eyebrows. Uh, when a teacher overly explains, uh, he loses his eyebrows in Zen. And pierce the monastic's nose. Um, again, this is culturally contextual. Um, but uh, if you want an ox to follow you, you put a nose ring in his through his nose, and then you attach a rope. He's got to go wherever you tug the rope. He has this 2,000-pound ox, and you go, he's got to come. Dada Roshi would often talk about conditioning in those terms. He says, you know, all my students are conditioned. I can make them do whatever I want them to do. I just play into the conditioning. He says, luckily for them, I want them to wake up. Think about that in this political world of our reaction to our conditioning. 
and how we hate or attracted to what, how people are manipulating us. Attracted to or hate, depending on our conditioning. Are we free? Can we actually listen to someone we can't stand on TV and actually hear what they're saying, see them without the cloud of complete confusion, hate, and, and judgment? Or can we actually see someone we relate to or think is terrific in the other but similar way? Are we free? Because both of them are tugging on our nose ring. So Mazu spared his eyebrows, he didn't explain, and pierced the monastic's nose. The monastic did not escape being sent away. He really went and asked. You know, he, so Mazu tugged on the, the nose ring, and off he goes to the next master. I'm tired today. This is a genuine answer. The master's doing his best to teach. Do we have the ears to hear? The monastic asked Zizang about it. Zizang said, why don't you ask the master? The monastic said, he told me to ask you. Zizang said, I have a headache today. I can't explain it to you. Go ask Brother Hai. Now, all these that he's being sent to are masters in themselves. A commentary on this response says, Zizang, also a Zen master, told the monk to go ask Hai. To, to go ask Hai because Hai was enlightened. This is like like a killing by an expert swordsman where the victim is unaware that he's been cut through. Now, you may think, you know, that's a pretty violent way to express, you know, why does that have so much violence in it? Um, Well, that's an interesting perspective. Um, His, um, uh, I don't know her name, but... um, uh, Representative Pelosi's daughter speaking about her mom. Uh, she can cut off your head and you don't even know it's been gone. Perhaps you saw that in the news regarding her um, interactions with our president. Same thing. Uh, years ago, I was um, sitting with Daito Roshi at a bench in the back of the monastery during a nice summer day. And we were eating lunch. And um, a student comes up, kind of rushing up, and says to Daito Roshi, can I ask you a question? So you know what's coming. And I don't remember the actual question, but it was some Dharma question uh, with an urgency uh, that Daito Roshi heard and respected. Uh, maybe the timing wasn't the most appropriate, but fine. Uh, so he, he asked it, and Daito Roshi kind of looked at him. He said, uh, uh, I don't feel well today. Why don't you ask Hogan? And I was not a teacher. <laughs> you know? uh, so I thought, oh, you know, that's, that's a, a Brooklyn term for a medal on my chest. Um, um, I, you know, I felt very proud, but... Uh, I don't know what I would have said had he asked me. He didn't ask me. (laughs) Which says something about that student, doesn't it? As opposed to this monastic. But this, so this monastic persists. And this is a person who really wants to know. Don't miss this. Really don't miss this. I would say in my Zen career, 
the thing that has saved me the most, the thing that has carried me the most is kind of a a stupidity, a a willingness to be stupid, a willingness to, to not know. And I'm not naturally a humble or stupid person. I mean, I'm not. Trust me on this. Uh, but in this area, I do. I really want to wake up, and I really want you to wake up. And the, the, so independent of our personality, really taking that up uh, as a guidepost, as a willingness to persist, and there's kind of a stupidity or dumbness or narrowness to it, I, but the other term for that is great determination. Uh, unyielding determination, also known as bodhicitta. You may have heard that. And these also all have you know, overlapping and concentric ways of understanding uh, the heart of compassion and the desire to awaken. Um, and really, they're all the same thing. But I've always felt my life has been staked on this. And okay, I'm making a fool of myself once again. Uh, I'm being humiliated. Once again, I feel humiliation once again, you know, um, in public. And if you want to feel humiliation in public, uh, in the Zen world, be a monastic, uh, be a teacher, uh, and as you, your practice advances, be a, a student. Uh, you know, so you're going to play Doan, right? <laughs> How's it going? <laughs> you know, where... You make a mis- and you will make a mistake. That's built into. So these are training positions. All of these are training positions. This is a training position. That is a training position. And what a training position is is you're giving permission to be trained so that you can wake up. So that when you make a mistake and everybody in the zendo knows it, you have two choices. You can think about that and now make the next mistake immediately because the service is still going on. And anyone who's played any of these instruments knows exactly what I'm talking about. Or you can let it go. Well, you don't want to let it go. You want to, we're used to ruminating about, oh, I screwed it up again. Dawn, wake up. You know, it's that kind of thing. So that's called training. And you've given permission for it. That's what it means to be a student of the Dharma. You've actually said, yes, I want this. You know, to frame it a slightly way, I'm willing to be humiliated in order to wake up because that's what's needed. There's a way to do it without that. Great. We haven't found it. I haven't found it. Uh, and sometimes people comment on that Zen seems very harsh. Um, I don't think it's harsh. It's what I'm asking for. It's what I want. I don't know another way to do this. Now, the, the directness has to be in accordance with the student's permission. And being a student is one way of giving permission, but sometimes... Uh, people who are not students are giving permission. Sometimes people who are students are not giving permission. You know, that's being communicated between the teacher and student or between the teacher and senior uh, and so on and so forth. So it's subtle and it's challenging and it's a long-term process. It's not casual. And there's going to be plenty of pitfalls along the way. So the monastic persists. And this is not blind stupidity. This is bodhicitta. This is a desire to awaken. He's being told. He's being given the teaching. Go ask. It's actually pretty simple. Follow the instructions. You know, even in as simple a thing as zazen. So people get instruction in zazen. Count your breath, one through ten. Put all your attention and your awareness of your breath. 
See if you can center in the hara. If you can't, that's fine. And whenever a thought arises, whenever a thought arises, you see it, you let it go and come back to one. And so then they begin to practice. And every question practically, for the most part, that comes in, there are some technical aspects of posture and things like that, but uh, the answer is, see the thought, let it go, come back to one. But, but, but see the thought, let it go, come back to one. But I'm feeling bored. See the thought, let it go. And but I'm anxious. See the thought, let it go. So how long does it take for us to be willing to be where we are when we are? It takes a long time for some people. That's fine. It takes as long a time as it needs to take. It's not a race. And then we go from there. So we do shikantaza. So what are you doing in Shikantaza? You're not doing anything. <laughs> Nothing. Nada. You're sitting there and the thoughts are passing. You're sitting there with the awareness of those thoughts. And people want instruction in Shikantaza. There is no instruction in Shikantaza. You can't do it wrong. You can't do it wrong. You sit there with your thoughts, with awareness of your thoughts. But I know I'm not doing it. You can't do it wrong. How heavy is our conditioning of our intellectual mind? We want to get it right. We want to, we want to get it right. Why do we want to get it right? We want to get it right because we want to be right and not wrong. I could go on like this for hours. <laughs> <laughs> so he asks Hai about it. And Hai, Wang Po, says, I understand nothing about that question. You know, he doesn't say it like that. He says, I understand nothing about that question. Another translation says, when I come to this point, I don't understand. So the three elders spoke as one, each doing their best to help out. But the monastic isn't seeing that. So he goes back to Master Mazu, and Master Mazu says, Zizang's head is white and Hai's head is black. So how do you respond to such a question as the meaning of your life without explaining or describing? Without explaining or describing. Really, the question being asked is, how do you teach somebody? I mean, put yourself in the position of the teacher. The teacher's awake. The teacher sees the student before him as a Buddha as an awake human being that has not yet realized that. The Buddha has realized that. So you can't give them what they already have. There's no way to give it to a person. So how do you help someone who's asking? In explaining the Dharma, there's neither explanation nor teaching. In listening to the Dharma, there's neither hearing nor attainment. So you can't give it to someone. They already have it. That's the fundamental thing that's going on here. That's what saves Zen at its best from the craziness that can come out of the hierarchy of someone who knows and someone who doesn't know. From the teacher's perspective, there isn't anyone who doesn't know, even though they don't know. So I don't feel like explaining it today. So he goes to Zizang. Zizang also directly responds, as does Brother Hai, providing another perspective 
another demonstration for the benefit of the monastic. So this koan takes us straight into our aspiration, why we're here today. I mean, perhaps we wandered in to check out the Zen temple. Perhaps we're beginning to consider the questions being raised here today in this talk. Perhaps we're on this path within the specific circumstances of our life. And yet this question is is squarely before you, no matter who you are. In some way you're responding to it, because it's before everybody. And it's asking us, how strong is your aspiration to let go of the four propositions and the hundred negations? That is no small thing. It doesn't mean to walk down the street stupid in the sense of really being ignorant of the circumstances of your life. Just the opposite. It means how strong is your aspiration not to believe everything you think? Not to see every emotion that you feel as the basis of the entire universe. What makes this koan so challenging is the very nature of the question and the direct pointing of the master's responses. I mean, it seems obvious we can get around in a circle and talk about it and, you know, reinforce each other's understanding of the koan. It's easy to do this. You know, I have a headache. I'm tired today. We all get headaches. We're all tired sometimes. Are we all experiencing a life through a realized perspective? We're not just talking about mindfulness here. Be careful. We're not talking about mindfulness. Oh, I'm tired and I'm aware that I'm tired. Thank you very much. That's not what's going on here. And that's where it goes off the rails when you have these discussions. We're not talking about awareness of our physical and mental state. We're not talking about paying attention, although none of those things are excluded. But can we do what we do? Can we experience what we experience? Can we be what we are? Completely. I mean, think about it. I mean, when I have a headache, if you're like me, I don't want to have a headache. Do you want to have a headache? I want to get rid of it. I want to fix it. How are you going to fix your fear of death? How are you going to fix your fear of life? How are you going to fix your relationship? How can you fix alone and afraid in a world I haven't made? We're not talking about the psychological level here. We're not disregarding that either. We're seeing into it, with it, and deeper than that. It's very subtle. There is a way in, but the words miss it completely. This is a very subtle koan. Did the monastic understand when the response, the response, when he asked each time, or did he not understand? Did he understand or did he not understand? If you say he understood, why did he keep asking each master? If you say he did not understand, what is it that he didn't understand? I'm tired. I have a headache. I don't understand it myself. How would you show your understanding without explaining or imitation? It's not difficult to imitate these masters. Oh, my back hurts. That must be the greatest wisdom. But that's not going to cut it. That's not going to show true understanding. There's no imitation allowed. 
It has to be yours. You have to see into this in a way that you're seeing into the mind of the masters and you're seeing into the mind of the student, the monastic. So the commentary in this koan says, can you see what Mazu is describing? To see it, you must look with your Dharma eye, the eye that is not attached to any form or color. It's a Dharma eye. It's seeing, but there's no attachment to any form or color. What's the mind of that? No attachment to any form or color. What is that mind? Then you must learn to walk without lifting a leg. How do you walk without lifting your leg? That sounds absurd. How do you talk without moving your tongue? Which is the next line. How do you talk without moving your tongue? Zazang's head is white. Hai's head is black. With this last word, you finally get to the impenetrable barrier. What is the meaning? It's interesting, all of these koans are translated. And so um, there's both the potential to lose something in the translation and the subtleties of cultures and language, particularly uh, Chinese and Japanese, uh, to English, but also the potential to gain something. So the way this has been translated is Zazeng's head is white, Hai's head is black. Could have been translated just as easily as Zazeng's head is white and Hai's head is black. But it wasn't. Why not? There's a reason, which comes out of insight. So Mazu cuts through it all with this statement. This morning I was cold. Now I'm warm. How do you see this? How do you understand it? How do you relate to it? I'll give you a hint. There's no relationship possible whatsoever. The fundamental truth is always expressing itself perfectly. We just need to see it through and through. Just as Master High said in another time, if you want to understand directly and immediately, open book test, here's the answer. Everything is not it. Nagarjuna made a comment. Wisdom is like a mass of fire. It cannot be entered from any side. Wisdom is like a clear pool. It can be entered from any side. My question is, where do you find yourself? The verse to this koan. Zazang's head is white, Hai's head is black. Defies understanding. Mazu tramples everyone in this world to death. Even Linji is still no pickpocket. Putting aside the four propositions, the hundred negations, you can only nod to yourself. So Zazang's head is white, Hai's head is black. It defies understanding. Mazu, Mazu's name translates as cult, perhaps as horse. So picking up on that, Mazu tramples everyone in the world to death. Even Linji is still no pickpocket. Linji was a great Zen master of koans in particular. But in this verse, it's saying even he is still no pickpocket compared to Mazu's statement. 
putting aside the four propositions, the hundred negations, putting it all aside, every thought in our head, every perspective, every judgment, every assessment, every right or wrong, every place that we've hung our clothing, our hat, our intellect on, you can only nod to yourself. I can't explain it for you. And you cannot know it. And yet, and yet. Thanks so much for listening. For meditation supplies such as meditation cushions, incense, malas, liturgical instruments, books, and more, visit the Monastery Store at monasterystore.org. Support for your spiritual practice at home.